You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. each of us gift in a ministry like this and we are to use our gifts to the fullest and if you haven't found out what your gift is then you need to sit before the Lord and you need to ask and you need to seek and you need to knock and you need to say what is my gift how can I be of benefit to this body how can I edify this body and serve this body I don't know what your gift is although I see some of you and I kind of have an inkling on what it may be, but I don't know what your gift is. We need to actively seek the Lord. As the body of Christ, everyone has a different function that God has assigned. Today, Pastor Dave will be encouraging you to use the gifts that God has given you. Some have the gift of teaching or prophecy. Others have the gift of mercy or helps. There are many gifts. The question is, what are your gifts and are you using them? Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 1 as he begins his message, Baptize with Water. Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 25. And they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. But there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Question number one, who are you? Who are you? Question number two, are you Elijah, the forerunner of the Messiah? Question number three, are you the prophet, the one that Moses spoke of? In each instant, John emphatically answers, no. I am not the Christ. I am not Elijah. I am not the prophet. This was his testimony. Each time they asked a question, he said, no, I am not that person. These being learned men, after they received no to all the questions, they came up with question number four. Well then, if you're not these people, then who in the heck are you? Who are you? His answer surprised them. His answer basically took them aback. It, it surprised them. He said, you really want to know who I am? I am a voice crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. And here, John quotes from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 40, verse 3. John knew who he was, and John knew who he was not. John knew what he was sent to do, and what he was not sent to do. And I think we can learn from this, because the Lord has given each of us gifts. The Lord has given us each of us gift in a ministry like this. And we are to use our gifts to the fullest. And if you haven't found out what your gift is, then you need to sit before the Lord and you need to ask and you need to seek and you need to knock. And you need to say, what is my gift? How can I be of benefit to this body? How can I edify this body and serve this body? I don't know what your gift is, although I see some of you and I kind of have an inkling on what it may be, but I don't know what your gift is. We need to actively seek the Lord. We need to know who we are in Christ. We need to know who we are not 
and we need to know what we're called to do. See, and this is John's testimony. I think we can learn this from the Apostle John. It's very important, and John had comfort about that. John had a peace about that. No, I'm not the Christ. No, I'm not Elijah. No, I'm not the prophet. You know, maybe he wanted to be the Christ. Maybe he wanted to be Elijah or the, or the prophet, but he emphatically says, no, I am not he. I'm not those guys. You know, when, when those asking the questions heard this, they understood exactly what he was saying because they knew the scriptures. They knew Isaiah spoke of a voice, a voice that would announce the coming of a Messiah. And this got their attention, coming of a Messiah. Isaiah was telling them that a new age was approaching. And from this point in the book of Isaiah, he spends the entire remaining chapters speaking about the coming Messiah and zeroing in on his attributes, the voice that cried out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. I think that's curious, a highway for our God. Now, see, the idea that John was saying is, hey, folks, the Lord's coming. He is coming here. So prepare a road. Prepare a road that he can travel it in glory and in ease. What he's saying to us today is that every obstacle must be removed. When you prepare a way, you move all the obstacles. You get rid of those things that might hinder the Lord's coming to you. Hinder all the obstacles. Get, get rid of the things that are in the way. Sometimes the road in the valley needs to be lifted up. Oftentimes the road has to be cut through the passage in the mountainside. Cutting through the path where it's blocked. See, there's a word picture here. It's a simple word picture because preparation begins in the heart. Preparation begins in the heart. If your heart is not prepared, you will not receive what God wants you to receive. If you come to church with something on your mind that you can't get rid of, if you come to church and you're thinking of other things, not thinking about God, not wanting to commune with God, you will have a hard time receiving what God would want to say to you during this time or during the worship or during the fellowship or during the prayer time. If you're not actively focused on God and have cleared the way for the Lord to touch you, you're going to have a hard time. You're going to struggle. Why won't the Lord talk to me? Well, have you prepared the way? Have you cleared the decks? Have you gotten everything that's been in between you and God out of the way? It's a word picture. Our hearts must be prepared. The voice could easily be saying, prepare your hearts, the Lord is coming. And I'm here to tell you today that we need to have our hearts prepared because the Lord is coming again soon. The Holy Spirit is telling us today, prepare your hearts. Prepare the way for the Lord. Get rid of those things that are hindering your service to the Lord. Get rid of the, those things that are hindering your communion with the Lord, your fellowship with the Lord. Get rid of them. See, when you build a, a road, it's very much like preparation for God in our hearts. Number one, they're both expensive. When you build a road, it's very, very expensive. You have to deal with very different problems, and you have to deal with very different environments. Plus, when we're building a road, it takes an expert engineer. God is an expert engineer. He is an expert engineer. When the way is prepared, then the glory of the Lord can be revealed. And the glory is revealed to prepared hearts that the prophet Isaiah said, this is what we need to do. It's revealed without regard to nationality. It's 
revealed without regard to gender. It's revealed to us all. For the word came to us all. It's not only revealed to Jerusalem. It's not only revealed to Judah. It's not only revealed to Jews. But it's revealed to every heart that is prepared in the entire world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. At this time, Jesus was coming. He was coming. The expected Messiah. The expected king. And John the Baptist's ministry was one crying out, Jesus is coming. People get ready. We just talked about that song last night. Krista Lewis used to sing that. People get ready. Jesus is coming, coming to take us home. He wanted the people to prepare their hearts before the Lord. To get the ground of your heart fertile. To get it in there and get it ready, prepared. Was it the prophet Hosea that said, break up the fallow ground of your heart? I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. I'm not sure if it was Hosea or, or Joel. Anyhow. One of them said, prepare the fallow ground of your hearts. Fallow ground is hard ground. Ground that's been hanging around a while. And it needs to be beaten up and get ready to plant. Break up the fallow ground. Jesus is coming. People need to prepare. We often fail to appreciate the preparing work of the Lord. Any work of God needs great preparations. John wonderfully fulfilled this important ministry. Quite simply, John was nothing more than a voice. That's all he was. We too have this important ministry, ladies and gentlemen. We have this important ministry. We too must help prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. We too must be voices crying out in this vast wilderness in which we live, in this vast darkened place in which we live. We must be crying out, Jesus is coming, are you prepared? Jesus is coming. Prepare a way. He's coming soon. He's coming very, very soon. We must be lights shining in the midst of the darkness. We must be lights shining into the midst of darkened hearts everywhere. See, when John said this, those who were sent to question him had no doubt of what he was speaking of. They knew immediately what he was speaking of. He's speaking of the Messiah. He's speaking of the Messiah because they knew the prophet Isaiah. But they persisted. They persisted. They had to get some answers to satisfy their superiors, the Pharisees, those who had sent them. So they asked, asked, so they asked the next plausible question, and this becomes question number five. All right, smarty pants. If you're not the Christ, if you're not Elijah, if you're not the prophet, then why do you baptize? Why are you baptizing? In other words, who gave you the authority to baptize? They didn't know that John was called by God himself. Because you remember up in verse 6, verse 6 of John's gospel, he's talking about John the Baptist. There was a man sent from God whose name was John talking about John the Baptist, they didn't know that his authority came from God himself. His authority came from God. They were questioning these. Who are you? This just shows their bewilderment. They were really confused right now. Now, the Greek word for baptized is bapto, B-A-P-T-O. It means to dip. And it's frequently used among the Greeks to signify dyeing a garment. They would dip a garment into the dye 
and then let it dry. The word baptism comes from a combination of two Greek words, bapto and idzo. Idzo means process. So baptism is a process of dipping. A process of dipping. Now, follow me on this. When you dye something, you basically change the identity of that which you dye. If you have something white and you dye it red, it becomes red instead of white. You've changed the identity of what it is. How many of you ever tie-dyed? <laughs> oh, I you change the identity. So we can basically say that baptism is a means of identification. Baptism is a means of identification. It changes not only our identity, but baptism changes who we identify with. It changes our identity and it changes who we identify with. Once we identified with the world. We once identified with the world. And now that we have accepted Christ into our life, and when we become baptized, publicly we are saying, I identify with Jesus. Baptism is no more than a public statement of what has happened in your heart. Baptism does not save you. It's an outward cry of what the Lord has done in your heart. You're saying, I now identify with Christ. And according to Romans 6, verses 3 and 4, not only are you identifying with Christ's life, you're also identifying with Christ's death and his resurrection. But you're doing it publicly. You're doing it outwardly. It becomes a, a, profession, a profession of faith. See, baptism is nothing new. The Jews used to do it all the time. When you, as a Gentile, wanted to become Jewish and convert, you were a proselyte, and they would take you and they would baptize you. And that signified a change in identity. You are no longer a Gentile, dog, unclean. But now you're a Jew. There's the change of identity. That's what they did by accepting the Jewish faith. And according to the Old Testament scriptures, baptism would be used in the days of the Messiah. All three, Christ, Elijah, and the prophet, would use baptism to purify the polluted world in which they live. So it was natural for them to ask the question, then where do you get off baptizing? So when they ask that question, what do you baptize for? Once again, John is quite clear and he's very, very concise. Look at verse 26a. John answered them and says, I baptize with water. Nothing more, nothing less. I am nothing more and nothing less. But John doesn't stop here. He then directs our attention to another. And this is what I love about John the Baptist. John the Baptist always pointed to Jesus Christ. Always pointed to Christ. In every situation, in every circumstances. First of all, he denied that he wasn't the Christ. But he always pointed to Jesus Christ. Look at 26b. I baptize with water, but... There stands one among you whom you do not know. There's one greater standing among you, and you don't know him. Back in verse 10 of Gospel of John, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Imagine. Imagine. To me, when I read this and I was studying, I was taken directly to Isaiah 53, verse 2 when he said he had no form 
or comeliness. Meaning, he wasn't a great-looking guy. It means he wasn't attracting people to himself by his good looks. He was an every average Joe. He was an, actually, he was an every average Jesus. But he was an every average guy. All right? There was nothing that made him stand out. He didn't have a remarkable beauty. He wasn't Jeffrey Hunter with the gorgeous blue eyes. Did I just date myself on that one? I don't know. King of Kings, by the way, is the name of the movie. Jeffrey Hunter is Jesus. Jeffrey Hunter is Jesus. That doesn't mean he was ugly, folks. But it does mean that he did not have the advantage of good looks. This means that when we try to track people to Jesus through form or comeliness or beauty, we're using methods that run counter to Jesus Christ. Listen to Alan Redpath. I love Alan Redpath. He says, quote, These days it appears that we must dress up the gospel to make it attractive. We, ha we have to use the methods of technique which must be smart, well-presented, and streamlined. There must be something about the presentation of the gospel that will appeal to people to what is called modern mind. I wonder if we stop to think that in our, our efforts to make the gospel message attractive, we are drawing a curtain across the face of Jesus in his humiliation. The only one who can make him attractive is the Holy Spirit. I like that, unquote. Can you imagine standing in a crowd? Can you imagine standing in a crowd? You're standing behind this guy and you're going, hey, buddy, can you move aside? I can't see. And it's Jesus. Hey, will you get out of the way? I can't see over you. Come on, you're blocking my view. Can you imagine that? Not recognize him? Well, you know, I thought about this too. Why don't people recognize Jesus in us? Why don't people recognize Jesus in us? Because I think we hide him. I think we hide him. We know he's in us. We know through the Holy Spirit that he's there. But I think we hide him. We don't allow him to come out. We don't allow him to shine. We hide him. We keep him from people. You know, we got stuck in our minds, Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the, Moha, of the Most High. Well, let's not let it be secret anymore. Let it come out. Christ wants to come out and touch the heart of the people you're next to. Why do we hide them? We're always hiding them. John says, no, I'm not the Christ. But there's one among you. There's one among you. When will we learn that it's not about me? Paul said, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. For me to live as Christ, think about that. Always point to the Lord. Always point to the Lord. He says something interesting in verse 27. Is that it is he, talking about Jesus now, who is coming after me is preferred before me. Now we talked about that, how he knew that Jesus was preferred before him because of Jesus' stature. He knew who Jesus was, was. Even though John was six months older than Jesus, but he says this, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. Whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. It's an interesting statement here. And here he's making a reference to house slaves. John is making a reference to house slaves. Now in a house when you had slaves, now I have to remember, slavery back then was huge. Huge. And when you had various slaves, the lowest of low, the worst slave in the entire place was the one who answered the door. 
When he answered the door, he was the one that had to take the sandals off the people's feet, put them in water, and wash them before they could come into the house. Now, they didn't have socks, all right? They didn't have shoes. They had sandals, or maybe they wore, they had bare, wore bare foot. But figure that out. I don't know what's happening to my words today. Anyhow, anyhow, this low slave would have to come up and do that. John's saying, I'm not even worthy of that job. I'm not even worthy of the lowest of low. That's a great opinion of himself, isn't it? That's a great opinion of himself. I can imagine me having that job. Jolly sweet smell and his big voice. John says, you know what? I can't even do that job. I'm not even worthy to be the lowest of the low slaves. I can't even unstrap my Savior's boot. Interesting. Interesting statement. This is true humility. This is not trumped up humility to make yourself look good or feel better. This is true humility. This is a humble heart that draws people to Christ. When you absolutely bring that into your mind and your mind fathoms everything that went on. And then you read Ephesians 1, 2, 3, and you find out all the other things that have happened. If that doesn't make you humble, nothing will. Nothing will. You cannot make yourself humble. That's false humility. That's false humility. You can't make yourself humble. When you, when you come face to face with Jesus, I can guarantee you'll be humble or humbled. John says, I can't do that. I can't untie his shoes. I can't undo it. Now, knowing what I just told you, go fast forward three and a half years to the upper room during Passover feast. Fast forward three and a half years to the upper room of the Passover feast in John 13. When they finish eating the meal, Jesus jumps up and girds himself, gets a bucket of water, and starts around the table washing their feet. Now you might understand why Peter stood up and said, whoa, wait a minute, no way, you're not washing my feet. Put that up here. Savior of the world washing their feet. See, that's true humility. True humility. In verse 28 it says, these things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. It's interesting now. It's interesting this place there he's baptizing. And we see this place where it's all happened. And I don't think there's anything in the Bible that doesn't have meaning. I think everything is written there for a particular reason. And many scholars believe that this place out in the wilderness at the Jordan River was the place where Joshua led them across. Many people believe that this was the place where Joshua read, led the Israelites across into the Promised Land back in the day when Joshua was doing that. You are the book of John covers Jesus' life and ministry here on earth, but the book begins long before Jesus was born in a manger. He existed with God the Father from the start. So many other religions have some figure they look to or commemorate, but none of those mere men accomplished what Jesus did. 
Jesus came as a man and died, but then he came back to life because he's God. No other man can claim that remarkable feat. Only God could do this, and therefore, the only true one to follow is Jesus. What might be holding you back today in believing all that God says he is and does? If you have some questions you'd like answered, we'd be happy to try and answer these questions or pray with you about what's weighing on your heart. Please don't hesitate to call us at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609 609- 884-5821. Keep looking to scripture for answers and know that we care about the journey you're on. We're so glad you tuned in to A Sure Hope today. You can hear more messages like this one from Pastor Dave at our website. Just click on the messages tab when you visit assurehoperadio.com. We'd love to meet you too. Find out how you can join us for worship at Calvary Chapel Cape May by visiting assurehoperadio.com. You'll also find us on Facebook and YouTube. Links for both are at assurehoperadio.com. There's more to learn from the book of John next time, so be sure to join us again on another edition of A Sure Hope.